Gracious Father, we thank you for this moment, for this next 35 or so minutes that we have to uh, sit and to hear your word together as a church. I pray, Father, that you would help us to hear correctly, to humbly receive your word. And then have the courage and the fortitude and the wisdom to respond to your word. And then to have the, the strength through your spirit to persevere in your word. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In the matchless, wonderful, victorious name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Well, in about a year, Lord willing or less, I, I will finally finish up with a degree uh, that I started several years before. And what excites me most about finishing up is uh, that I would now have the opportunity to go into audit classes that I wanted to take, but I just didn't have the time to take. And the fun thing about auditing a, auditing a class is, is that you pay um, a part of the cost, so you don't pay the full cost, and you get to sit in the classroom and learn what everyone else is learning, but you don't have to take the exams or write any papers. I mean, so when finals comes, I'm just looking forward to the opportunity of seeing everyone kind of slouch in their seat and worried or wondering about what they have to do, and I'm just going to be kind of cool and smiling like... Isn't this great? We get to take in all this information? No, I'm just joking. But I am looking forward to auditing some classes, to learning some things that I didn't get to go and dive into in my degree program, but also just learning in a various, various different fields. But oftentimes when we come into a, a setting where God's word is being proclaimed or preached, um, I, I think we come as spiritual auditors. I think we come into these settings sometimes, even in the morning when we're reading God's word or we're listening to it on our phone or we're hearing a podcast preached where that, that preaching moment, that moment of receiving God's word is really a moment about information and revelation, but we, we don't stop to think about application. In fact, there's an old saying that, that goes something like this, revelation without application leads to spiritual constipation. And that's really the point of today's sermon is, is revelation, information, inspiration. Without application, it leads to spiritual stagnation. And as James is writing this, this church of, of Jewish Christians who are dispersed all across the Mesopotamia and, 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 and Asia Minor and, and Europe, he is writing them and saying, listen, I'm hearing about your fellowship. I'm, I'm hearing about your gatherings, and I'm, I'm hearing that you guys are getting all this word, but I'm also hearing that the application of the word is lacking. And he's saying, don't be mere hearers of the word but be doers of the word. Don't spiritually audit God. Move towards application so that there could be transformation. And then in verse 25, he gives us a, a powerful uh, a picture um, and, and it gives us the, the means or the motivation to apply God's word to our life. And he gives us two pictures. He calls the, the law of the Lord, the perfect law of the word of God, he calls it freedom. 
Like hearing and doing God's word is freedom. It frees our conscience. It frees our, our lives. It protects us from sin and from ourself and from Satan's distraction and destruction. But he also says this, the person who is a doer of the word, listen to this, this person will be blessed in what he does. It says blessings are coming. This word blessing is, is, is a word for, for happiness, for delight. Those who hear the word and do the word are those who are going to live in delight and contentment and flourishing. And this is what the Bible teaches. James often is pulling off images from the Old Testament. And he, he's pulling off, I believe, Psalm 1, who is, starts with this application, blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, his happiness, his blessedness is in the law of the Lord in which he meditates day and night, and he or she shall be like a tree planted by streams of living water which yield its fruit and its season, and its leaves does not perish. Or Joshua 1.8. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may, listen, carefully observe, carefully do everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever, whatever you do. And so today I want to I talk about uh, what does it mean to be a doer of God's word, but I want us to keep in mind that, that a doer of God's word we do not begrudgingly, we do, and we want to learn to do, not just because we ought to do, but we do because the benefits of doing is life-giving. The benefits of doing is where we find true joy and delight, and that the commands of God, the things that he gives us to do, that they lead to life and freedom and joy and peace and happiness. And in a moment, we're going to look at the keys to applying and to doing. But before we do that, I want us to see how important it is for us to do it. Number one, I want us to see that we, we do it not in our own strength and in our own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do it through the power of God. In fact, if you look at verse 18, we see this clearly. It says this, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word and we, out of all creation, became his prized possessions. So the things that we do and the outcome that comes as a result of our doing, we do it from a motivation of the gospel, a big, bold, beautiful gospel that says this, and someone here needs to hear this today. It says this, we are saved not by our doing. We are blessed by our doing, but we are saved by the grace of God. We are saved because he chose to make us his own apart from our works. We are saved and we are his prized possession. We do because God loves us. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. God loves you. God loves you. 
Christian, God loves you. God prizes you. You are his prized possession. He has set you free from darkness. He has brought you into marvelous light. He has given you a new name, a new family. He rejoices over you. He sings over you. Despite what Satan is telling you, you're telling yourself or someone else is telling you, you are loved. And he doesn't love you because of what you do for him. He doesn't love you because you have it all together. He loves you according to his own purposes and will. He has set his affection on you in Christ Jesus. You are his beloved. And as his beloved now, we accept that identity as his prized possession. And as we live in in faithful union and communion with him, then we are motivated to live out our identity for him, for our crucified Savior. And there's some fruit that comes from us living out our identity. And this is what he's showing. I want to take us to verse 26 to verse 27. And I'm going to tell you why I'm taking us here. I'm, I'm taking us here because I pray that you will, that we all will be able to look in and just pause for a moment and examine whether or not we are applying God's word. Because he's going to give us three characteristics of people and, and that are applying God's word to their lives and the fruit that's coming out of it. And none of us do these, all three of these things correctly. There's room for all of us to grow, but at least gives us a picture to say, okay, Lord, this is what you're calling me to. This is what true religion looks like. This is what undefiled religion looks like. He gives us three things. The first is a controlled tongue, a controlled tongue. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Now, James throughout his book is dealing with a tongue. James chapter three, um, he gives a beautiful layout of, of what uh, the tongue is and what it can do in the destruction of a, a tongue that is not controlled. James chapter 4, he says this. He says, why are there fights? Why are there quarrels amongst you? You desire and you do not have. And he goes on in chapter 4 talking about the anger that's in people's heart. And so James is talking to this church because he's like, yo, I'm hearing that y'all um, are meeting and gathering in these house churches. Remember, they're not meeting like we're meeting on Sunday. It wasn't popular for Christians uh, to be Christians, especially those Jewish Christians who now believe in a resurrected Savior. They're seen as, as almost a cult. So they're meeting at people's houses. But when they meet and they're gathering, they're talking over each other, and it's often ending in, in strife. It's ending in bitterness. It's, it's ending in people cold-shouldering each other. It's ending in people trying to prove that they're smarter than the other person by out-talking out them. He says, no, if you're truly humbly receiving God's word, if you're truly applying God's word, uh, you should, we should be able to see it because you're able to control your speech. So self-control is one of the things he said, and that's what Jesus says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know someone, if someone is mature and where they are in their maturity, Just listen to what they say, because what we say is coming from our heart. So it's really a heart issue. But second, he says, not only a controlled tongue, but a caring heart. Look at your Bible, caring heart. He says, pure and undefiled religion. Another way to say it, a true relationship before God the Father is this, to look out after orphans and widows. He says, how do you know that you are uh, applying God's word? How do you know that you're growing in character? How do you know that you're, you're walking with the Lord? It's because your heart is breaking for the things that break God's heart. 
Jesus says this way, bless are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Bless are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so as we walk closely with the Lord, as we commune with the Lord and walk in loving union with him, our hearts should go out to people who are hurting. Our hearts should be growing soft for the marginalized and the disassociated. Our hearts should be be growing uh, for for people who are forgotten about in society. He's saying there should be a, a social concern. The third is clean lives, clean lives. How do we know that we're taking time to apply the word of God? Look at what he says, in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's because we're growing in general general and in spiritual integrity. We're growing in spiritual integrity. Listen to these words that uh, uh, Paul tells, tells Timothy. He says these words to Timothy. He tells him to set an example. He says, go and set an example in these ways. He says in speech and, and, and conduct and love and faith and purity. He says that we're growing in holiness and purity before the Lord. So the reason I give you those three things, control tongue, a caring heart, and clean lives is because if you're like me, uh, one of those categories is probably an area that you can grow in. <laughs> And if you're like me, you're probably exposed to sermons about those things all the time. And if not, um, then your church needs to do a better job, and you probably need to do a better job in opening your eyes to God's heart on one of these issues, on self-control, on caring for others, on growing in holiness before the Lord. So since we all have areas in our life, one of these areas that we should grow in, the question is, how do we grow in it? And this is what James is dealing with in this passage, the way in which we grow And true religion and pure religion is by looking at our relationship to God's word. So in James chapter one, we dealt with how we face trials. And James told us, hey, the way you face trials that are coming is by rejoicing. And we rejoice because we know that God is producing something in us. And what is he producing? He's producing steadfastness or perseverance. And he says, what's what's perseverance? Perseverance is, is faith stretched out. He's he's making us mature, and he tells us to request, to pray, and then to to rest and to rely on God. And and last week, we learned about uh, not trials, but temptations. Uh, We learned that uh, we are are constantly being tempted by Satan, and he wants to deceive us and then drag us away by our own desires to death. So the first part of James is about trials. The second part is about temptations, and this is about God's truth. James saying, this is how you handle trials. This is how you handle temptations, and this is how you handle truth. And how do you handle truth? Two big points. Number one, you humbly receive it. You humbly receive God's word. Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness So what is James doing here? He's saying, this is how you receive God's word, and it's really an attitude of the heart. It's by humbly receiving it. And he's saying, hey, as Christians, one of the ways we receive it is by being being cool. It's by by being calm. It's by entering into the presence of God's people um, with a, a humility. Proverbs 17 and 27 says this, the one who has knowledge restrains his words And one who keeps a cool head is a person of understanding. I love that. 
that in, in two major uh, translations, the CSV and the ESV, it says a cool head. I, I don't know why. I was like, man, the Bible says something about being cool. Yeah, be cool. And that's really what James is telling the church. He's like, yo, when y'all gather together, be cool. He says, like, be cool, calm down. It's not about you. You are God's prized possession. Stop gathering with a point to prove yourself. Stop gathering with a, a point of trying to find your identity and what other people think about you. No matter what someone else thinks about you, you are prized. You belong to me. I saved you. I implanted my word in you. I gave you life. You have purpose. You have meaning. You don't need other people to affirm you. And oftentimes when we're out speaking people or we feel like we have to get loud and argue with someone, it is because we are seeking something from someone else and we feel like our identity, our purpose is, is really rooted in that person affirming us. And that's not what the gospel teaches us at all. It teaches us that we can be humble, that we can be relaxed because God loves us. Tim Keller says this, anger is energy exhorted to protest what one loves. I'm going to say that again. Anger is energy exhorted to protest one, what one loves. Now, there's two types of anger, and we see this in James. He, he, he pulls it in verse 20. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. There's human anger and there's... There's godly anger. And Jesus showed us throughout the Gospels what godly anger is. Godly anger is just that. It's, it's centered on God. At the end of the day, I am angry because God's glory and God's name is not being protected or glorified. And that's a hard thing. And a lot of times it's mixed motives when we get angry, right? And only the Spirit can lead us to that godly anger, something that we can't do ourselves. But James is saying, listen, you guys are angry, and it's showing up, and that you're, quick, you're slow to listen and quick to speak. An old proverb says that God gave us two ears and one mouth, and he put our tongue behind two sets of uh, two teeth, <laughs> top and bottom, right? So we ought to be twice as quick to listen as we are to speak. What does that have to do? Well, first, let me minister on anger real quick. Let me just talk about anger real quick. <laughs> I think a lot of times when we come to people, and especially Christians, like we have this moment in community group, a moment with a friend, a moment with a spouse, and all of a sudden we're like trying to drop Bible on them. A lot of times, like it's really not about the Lord and the Spirit. It's about us protecting our pride. And a lot of times if we really open up our chest and do some hard work, it's because we don't believe that we can be wrong and loved at the same time. So the reason we fight, you ever get into arguments like you fighting about something that don't matter, but you can't let it go? Underneath, everybody like, yep. I'm like, yep, too. Underneath it, it's not about the Lord and his glory. Underneath it, underneath it, it's about us. And we're like, man, if I don't win this argument, if this person doesn't see me as right, like, I'm a, I'm a failure in their sight, and maybe I won't be loved or affirmed. Yo, here's what the gospel tells us. The gospel tells us, the good news of Jesus Christ tells us, you can be dead wrong and still loved. You don't have to be right. I don't have to be right. My identity is not on what, what someone else thinks about me or if I'm able to figure it all out. My identity is placed in this big God who loves me, who's crazy about me, who saved me through his son's own blood and work on the cross. 
James is saying, yo, calm down. Be compliant. Look at this. Be humble. Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And just before this, he tells us how to do that. Verse 21, therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. Many times we can't hear what God is saying to us because we have spiritual earwax. Uh, we, have, we have things in our heart, and specifically he's talking to them. He's saying, you guys got things in your heart that you're treasuring more than Christ and is worldly. That's what this moral filth is, this evil. Look, he calls it evil. He says, you're approaching life from a secular perspective. From a humanist perspective, from a worldly perspective, from a self-centered perspective, and he gives us an invitation. This isn't condemnation, it's an invitation. He says, yo, lay that aside, take it off. It's like what Paul tells us throughout his letters, put on and put off. We need to put off these attitudes. We need to believe this big, beautiful gospel that God loves us and clothe us in that. My family moved into... uh, this community last summer, and we're excited to, to move here and to do life uh, with neighbors and, and members and such. And, and so naturally, when, we, when you move, you kind of pack up everything, and you're just trying to get everything there. And so once we got everything there, we needed to clean out stuff. We're like, this isn't going to fit in this house, so we need to get rid of it. So we got rid of stuff and put it all in an alley, um, ready for the trash people to take. But the problem was is I didn't bag it. And I didn't have enough bags. So I told myself, I'm going to come back and I'm going to bag it tomorrow. Tomorrow came and it rained. And I looked at it and I'm like, man, it's raining. It's like nasty. It's soil on it. I opened one thing. It's like bugs came. I'm like, this is disgusting. I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow came and rained again. And it was muddy and even nastier and more soggy. And I'm like, well, I got to put on my big boy pants, threw on some clothes that I could get messed up, put on some gloves, and I just got in there. Stuff is coming out, and stuff is just going, and I'm putting it in. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. Like, honestly, I want to ask, ask wifey to help me. You know, like, man, you ain't come out and help me. I'm like, nah, be a man. It's your job. Can't have your wife out here like that. And so I, I did it. And, yo, I'm walking back into the house, and I heard my mother's voice like, boy, you better not come in my house with all that filth. You better do something. Oh, what do I do in my backyard, in my privacy? I begin to take off my clothes. And I'm looking around, making sure nobody's around. And I walk in, and later that day, a guy who was working on my house, he's like, Mr. Williams, is everything okay? I was like, yeah, everything's good, man. You okay? He was like, man, like, why were you naked in the backyard? I was like, man, I was just, <laughs> it's a long story. You know? I was so embarrassed, and he did not live that moment down every day. <laughs> It's like, Mr. Williams, just keep your clothes on, you know. <laughs> but I had to get rid of that filth, you know, to walk in the house. And, and here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that when we come to God's word, we have to have it all together. I'm not saying that we have to be uh, uh, clean and perfect and things like this. But here's what I am saying. I am saying that we need to do the hard work of hard work and to slow down and to do some self-examination before when we open the word in the morning, before we come to church, sometimes we just rush into the house of God and and we haven't spent any time to stop and to contemplate what we're walking into, what we're about to receive, what's going on in our own chest and our own heart. 
And for some of you, this is an invitation to start just breathing a little, to journal, to make sure you have that space to stop and to think about where you are and to think about the God that you worship and to begin to say, God, this is hard for me. This is painful. Creating me a clean heart, renewing me the right spirit. God, help me to get the spiritual earwax out so that I can hear you clearly. Help me to have new eyes. Bless all the pure in eyes for they shall see God. Give me pure eyes so that I can see you, so that I can experience you. Help me to humble myself before you. That's what James is saying. Yo, y'all coming in the house of the Lord, y'all coming together, and it's like, it's, it's all about y'all. Do the hard work of hard work. It's able to save your soul. It's able to keep you from stumbling. It's, it's able to help you to, to persevere. Second, he says, humbly respond. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and, and not a, a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. Like, there's a lot of things that can kind of hinder us from receiving God's word. And for some of us, it's just comfort. We hear God's word, but we don't do God's word because we... We're just stuck. We just want to be comfortable. And we know that doing God's word means that we have to do some work on ourselves and in our own heart. And that that work is going, because of our story, because of our life, because of where we are, it's just going to be ugly and it's going to be nasty. It's like me putting on those gloves and changing clothes. This is going to be nasty. I want to invite you and say, hey, when you're doing that work, you're not doing it alone. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to hurt. But Christ is right beside you. And he has his gloves on, like he has his, his clothes on, and he's walking with you. We do it in fear and trembling, but ultimately knowing that it is he who works his goodwill in us. And for other of us, us, the reason we don't do God's word is because we're discouraged. We're like, man, I've, I've tried this before, and it's one area of my life I just can't seem to defeat or to get over. So I'm just going to act like it's okay, and this will be my area until I die. And I just want to let you know, maybe you, the Lord, you may have a thorn, you may have an area that you're going to have to work extra hard to protect yourself against, but the Lord can give you strength to overcome that area and to grow. And you ought to not be discouraged. And for others of us, it's just simply desire and apathy. You're like, I hear what you're saying, but man, I just don't have the desire. I, I, I just don't uh, uh, have the strength. I, I don't even want to. Like, I kind of do, and I know the benefits, but I, I just don't have the desire. And I want to invite you to pray a prayer that Augustine prayed. He says, Lord, my soul's house is too meager for you to visit. Enlarge it. And it's falling down. Rebuild it. Inside is things that would disgust you to see. I confess this and I know it, but who's going to clean it? Or rather, to whom else am I going to shout, clean away from me, master, the hidden things that are my own? Listen, and this is from his book, Confessions, and this is a man who for uh, uh, at least 10 years of his life lived in immorality, struggled with, with deep sexual sin had a, a mistress, knew that the Lord was calling him, was a part of a cult. God began to pull him out, and he just thought he would never have victory over his sin. And he was discouraged, but God broke through all of that and helped him to become one of the, the leading thought leaders in Christendom. But for many of us, the reason we don't apply God's word is because of busyness. 
We haven't done the hard work of sitting down and scheduling time with the Lord. And I know different seasons of life, it can be crazy. But God is saying, listen, slow down for loving communion with me. Slow down for union with me. Stop letting fear and anxiety run your schedule. Stop finding your identity in perfectionism. You're not going to get things all tidy and correct and perfect. But if you're living in my spirit and if you're living knowing that I love you and my prized possession, I can, I can cause you to do things that would take you two hours to do it in 30 minutes. I can empower you to do the impossible. Slow down for loving union with me so that you can apply what you're learning. Look at this illustration that James puts before us. Verse 23, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For if he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he is or, or was. And so back in, in, uh, in James' day, like they didn't have mirrors like we had them. They, the mirrors were like bronze or brass. And they, they shined them so that a person could kind of see their image, but it was nowhere near what we could see today. And so a person, when they were looking into this mirror, they would have to look really closely to see what they look like and to try to get the right angle to see themselves. It was, they had to look intently. And James uses this picture. He's like, imagine a person who knows that, that something's wrong. Maybe something's in their teeth. Their hair's just level. Maybe they've buttoned their, their clothes the wrong way, and they're intensely looking in, and they see what's wrong. They put the mirror down, and they don't change anything that's wrong. He's saying, church, that's how you are when you come and your spiritual gluttons. You take up the information, but you're not looking for transformation. You're looking for revelation without application. He says, you're like a person who looks in the mirror, who sees that things are disheveled, but who refuses to work on them. And God's invitation for us today is to take time to own it, to own our disheveledness, to own that our hair is out, to own it spiritually, our, our, our shirts are, are not buttoned correctly, to own that and to cry out to the Lord and to say, Lord, I am yours. You are mine. Help me to put aside my old way and to put on this, this new way of living. Now, notice this example has two things. If we take this mirror and see it as, as God's word, it's a call, number one, to look into the mirror, to look into it intently. And the way we grow spiritually is by taking in God's word, by reading God's word, by meditating on God's word. And for some of us, it's not reading a whole lot. God's not calling you to read a whole lot. For some of us, God's just calling us to chew on, uh, to, to let it get deeply within us. Some of us, we're not growing because we think it's just about knowledge. Maybe God is calling you in this season just to take one or two verses and to, to memorize them a week and to soak in them and to journal and say, Lord, I'm going to work on this chapter all month rather than try to read a whole book. For some of us, we don't like to read. We're like uh, many in America. Who, uh, who haven't read a book in the last uh, 12 months. I think I read something like 55% of Americans have not read a book um, uh, after uh, they graduate from school in 12 months because maybe reading is harder. That's not the way you learn. There's so many different ways in which you could take God's word in. One is maybe audiobooks. My grandfather is one of the godliest men I know. And uh, African-American male, he's older in age. He didn't have educational opportunities growing up in, in the South. 
And so he can't uh, read well. And he owns, hey, I can't read well. But one thing I grew up with with my grandfather is him listening to audio CDs of the Bible. Or cassettes, actually. (laughs) And I, I remember him listening to cassettes and sitting there in his chair, sometimes falling asleep, but listening to cassettes and audio, taking in God's word. And perhaps that's what God is inviting you to, to just listen to the Bible on your way to work doing your lunch period, while you clean up, to put those earbuds in and to listen, to allow it to go internally. But after you hear, to pause, take space, to pray and to say, Lord, today, this week, I'm going to be praying that you would do this in my heart. And then review it and come back. We don't want to be spiritual auditors. We don't want to forget what we look like. We want to persevere in it. We want to sing scripture so that we remember it. I mean, think about it, Sojourn. This year alone, think about how much of of God's word we've consumed. And for some of you, that's through podcasts, that's through reading sermons, that's through making sure that you, you come regularly to hear from your pastors. But here at Sojourn alone, right, we went through the parables of Jesus We preached through our values and the parables we learned about stewardship and and being generous givers. And many of you were convicted. I mean, I was convicted. And and some of you emailed me and talked to other pastors about seeing that you need to grow in giving because you come each week and you look at your your, your budget and you realize that you give more money to Quills or or Sooner Gals than you do to the church. And that bothered you. And the question is, like, what, what did you do with that? I mean, we heard sermons on using our gifts and not burying them. The question is, have you gotten plugged into the church yet? We heard sermons about how to face trials this week and temptations, and some of you uh, are, are getting beat up, and, and every time something wrong goes into your life, you like kind of uh, freak back, and you resort to that old person, that old man or woman that you were, and you forget that God loves you and that you're his prized possession, and it leads you into sin. And, and the question is, like, have you paused and stopped and thought deeply about your unhealthy cycle? Have you talked to someone in your community group or another brother and sister in Christ and invited them into your life to say, this sermon convicted me? and the Lord is calling me to address it. What are you doing with God's word? Jesus said, to much is given, church. Much is required. And this may seem like blasphemy. And I'm not telling you to to knock on You need to be here and you need to be in community group. You need to put yourself in and around the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But God's invitation to many of us in this room is those areas that we know that we've been convicted in. It's to narrow in on those areas, continue to take in God's word and community and when we gather, but to focus in for a season in a specific area of our life so that we can persevere in the faith and be found faithful. Because we learned last week, sin binds, blinds, and grinds. And if we're not killing sin, sin is killing us. And the Lord is saying, hear these sermons, continue to grow, but you've got an area of your life that I'm calling you to be faithful in. Address it. Address it. And I think he's given that invitation to all of us. And maybe it's not a sin. Maybe it's like Hebrews chapter 12. Maybe it's just a weight. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe it's something that's just a weight and it's not allowing you to to run this race with endurance and and with a a certain type of precision. God is saying just slow down, address it, apply it in your life. So that's the question today. What are we doing with it? God's word calls us to be a living sacrifice. 
What are you doing with it? God calls us to give thanks and everything. What are we doing with it? God calls us to give generously and cheerfully. What are we doing with his word? God calls us to take care of the poor and needy. What are you doing with it? God is calling someone in here to forgive, to stop holding someone hostage in your heart, to stop uh, walking in bitterness, to hear Jesus' words, to forgive. What are you doing with it? Perhaps your invitation today is to pick up your word and to begin to, to read it regularly. Perhaps it's to memorize a verse each week. Perhaps it's actually to do less and just to sit in silence and to, and to remind yourselves of truths in the morning before you start your busy day and to pray. God has given you an invitation to apply it and to do it. For some of you, it's to find a place in ministry. For some of you, it's to go public with your faith and to be baptized. I want to start... I want to read a, a chapter to you that is dear to me, Psalm 19, really quick, verse 8 through 11. I was in college. I went wayward for, uh, for some time, had walked with the Lord faithfully, went through some really painful experiences, and I was, I was. I was like James. I was angry in my heart. I was going through all the motions of religion, but it was not a true religion. Um, it was not me walking out a true relationship with God. And I almost made a wreck of my life. And the Lord uh, allowed some men to enter into my life and to call me to slow down and to cherish his word and to memorize it. What I started this uh, 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 sermon off with is Psalm 1, blesses the man who walks not in the council of ungodly. Like I learned that in college during that period because uh, someone held me accountable to know and to read his word. And I remember sitting in sermon after sermon, week after week, as I began to come to church and I, I began to feel poor in spirit, hearing the gospel over and over. I, I remember the Lord starting to give me a desire for his word. I remember coming across this chapter and praying it and weeping that the Lord would give me a heart that was soft and that was responsive to him. Perhaps the Lord is drawing you back to his word. He's saying, come back to me. Come back to your first love. Remember, I love you. This is what it says. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. And here the psalmist David is using different words to describe the word of God. But think of this. The word of the Lord is right, making heart the glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. What is Satan, Satan telling you? How is he deceiving you? What are you subtly believing about God's word, about the faith? God is saying, come back home. Remember these things. Remember the life that you had when you simply trusted in me and when you came to my word regularly. They are more desirable than gold, than abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them. Listen, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. And that abundant reward is not a promise of things. I'm telling you, things, they rust. Things, they, they wear out. Things, they disappoint us. And that's not a promise of people. People, they rust. They do. The tin man. Okay, stop. They're like people, they disappoint. That promise is God himself. He is the reward. 
abundant life. Take time to slow down for love and union with the Lord. Put yourself in a position where you hear God's word, where you can receive it humbly, and where you are thinking about what you're hearing and learning so that you can respond. Don't be an auditor like me in college. Don't look forward to hearing stuff or more information. Revelation without application leads to spiritual stagnation. And every week we come together to be reminded of God's love for us. And we have a very visible and tangible example. And we have what's called communion. And communion reminds us of our union with God through the bloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners, born sinful, and that we are alienated from God, and that the wages of sin is death. But it tells us that the the, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, through our resurrected Lord, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. And every Sunday we gather and we take communion to remind ourselves of those promises, to remind ourselves that we are God's possession, and to remind ourselves of how we became God's possession. It's because of this great substitution that Jesus Christ died to death that we all deserved on the cross. He took your sin upon himself, your filth, your garbage, your messiness, though he knew no sin, and he gave you a perfect record with God the Father that can never be destroyed. He justified you. He declared you right before God. And now God, he loves you with a passionate love. We take this meal every week to remind ourselves of what Christ done, did for us. We break bread as Jesus gave thanks. He broke bread. We drink wine or juice. This wine is marked by twine. And here at Sojourn, we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the wine or juice in remembrance of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, I beg you to believe this gospel, to not just hear the word, but to do it, to humble yourself before the Lord Know that you don't have, it all, have to have it all together. Or you don't have to have anything together before accepting them. But you do need to have a humble heart that is turning, saying, I'm going to turn away from a life committed to myself. I'm going to turn away from a life that has lived for my own advantage. I'm going to turn away from being Lord of my own life to Christ. I'm going to declare him king, declare him Lord. I'm going to say, you are my Lord, whatever you want, not my will, but yours.